Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast called Word on a Hill. I am Lanky Guy, Father Pete. And I'm Scott Powell. Yep. And that uh, sounded like the beginning part sounded like the opening to like a, a kid's show on PBS. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I was watching Vintagod. It's Musset the Clown. <laughs> Oh, don't even ever Blinky's say that. Remember Blinky's Fun Club? Blinky's Fun Blinky. Yeah, Blinky's Fun Club. Blinky. <laughs> it's a, it was a great show, dude, on Channel 6, Blinky's dude. Blinky's Fun Club. With um, Mr. Body. Do you remember Mr. Body? I do not. Mr. Body wore a spandex <laughs> suit that had all the muscles on the outside? I do not. Yeah, and then he like. Are you sure this is real? Yeah, yeah, Mr. Body, dude. Right. I rem- I went to Channel Six to no. Blinky Blinky's Fun Club, and it was saw on Channel Mr. Two. See, this is channel where the two. whole thing is breaking down, dude. Memory that was dude, definitely on Channel Two. There's a great podcast about memory from uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Okay, maybe you should listen to it. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't ever quite remember to get to ah, it. Ah, I like what you did aha. there. Aha! You always have a new tune at the beginning of our podcast, which are all just sort of slight variations on themselves. Yeah, well, I've it's been delightful. I've been watching the it's YouTube, like your YouTube channel um, called Vintagaden. Okay. And uh, and he's making the Marble Machine X. So okay. basically, it's it's this this thing that he hand cranks, uh-huh. and then a bunch of marbles shoot out, and he makes music. It's really fun. Oh, um, but but he like makes a new song for his thing, and he, the, the, song, the machine makes the music. The machine like, makes music the in music. the background. Well, he makes music in the background while he's building the machine for his YouTube channel. That's complicated. It's very complicated. But man, the song that he had the last time he makes me want to make music because I'm just he just inspires me. He's such a musician at his heart. It's really fun. You just the last like minute and a half just articulated why I love you so much. <laughs> it, it it was your interests and the things that you take from things and. That you're watching that YouTube channel for some oh, reason, and dude, it's just wonderful. Vintagard you're a wonderful Win- human being. Vintagard and Wednesdays. Happy you exist. <laughs> I'm happy you exist. Thanks. See, my uh, go-to when I have downtime is like go to the news and find out what horrible, awful thing is happening in the world now, and you go to people creating ball machines that make music, <laughs> which is just that's such a better way to live. You you understand leisure. Oh, I you've do. read your your Joseph Pieper. My Joseph Pieper is my happy. Oh, anyway, well, on that happy, happy, note, happy it is happy the twenty sixth, sixth Sunday sixth, of ordinary time. Sixth Sunday in ordinal time. Ordinal, the time of numbers. Our also, first reading, also known as the thirtieth day of September. That's true. It will fall well unless you're going to the vigil mass. Unless on you're the 29th. listening. Yep. Unless you're listening to this three years from now. Unless you're listening into a three from yeah yep that's true and then and then, you, then or just confusedly a year and a half from now <laughs> I don't see any of these readings this week <laughs> <laughs> all right our readings are coming from first our first reading is coming from the book of Numbers which is the most well I'll talk about that in a second it, Numbers gets such a bad rap and it's not Numbers fault <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a minute Numbers chapter eleven verses twenty five through twenty nine. I wanted to make sure that you said the numbers on that one correctly. I I appreciate that. Yeah. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 19. The heavens are... No. The heavens are telling the That's glory of God. That's not that one, right? No, I it was isn't. singing it this morning. It's the, another familiar song. We don't get the song part this week, but... Psalm 19, verses 8, 10, 12 to 13, 14, with our response coming from 9A. You just plowed right through there. Dude, Our, I, I didn't. I, you know, sometimes you, you got to keep people guessing. Is he going to say something funny or is he just going to be boring? <laughs> <laughs> we choose boring. We choose boring. All right. Our second reading is coming from the letter of Jason, James. <laughs> it always looks like Jason. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. 
Yeah, you know that uh, James was a big hockey player in the ancient world. What's the joke? <laughs> Jason. Uh, Jason. Jason, Friday the 13th. Oh, uh, hockey mask. That was a stretch. That was a stretch. I love you so much, but that was a stretch. No, it was, yeah, it was lame. It, no, it wasn't lame. It just, <laughs> it was a stretch. <laughs> hey, man, I, I, haven't, I haven't had, I had, I had a great cup of coffee. One cup. Okay. <laughs> That's it? Yep. And wow. then our gospel is Mark 9, 38 to 43, 45, 47 to 48. Can you find the irony of how this reading is divided up? You're going to have to tell me. It's, it's very surface level. Uh-uh. It's very broken up. We've cut a lot of pieces out. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's better that we cut them out. <laughs> then, then verse 43 causes us to say, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't really work. No, oh, for heaven's sake. It's telling the glory of God. No, it's not. The heavens, yeah. For okay. heaven's sake. It's for, it is the heavens are telling the glory of God. I was right on that. Psalm 19. Yeah. Is that what you just said? The heavens at? are telling. No, no, you just said it and then I responded. Yeah, but then you made me second guess myself. But hey, man, that's my job. No, it's true. That's It keeps me on my toes. Yep. On and, my toes. And uh, y- your ballerina shoes um, recently have not gotten much use. My mother was a professional ballerina. Did you know that? I did. And um, she's, she was also a teacher. She is a teacher of is ballerinas. She's a teacher of ballerinas, of, of small ones. Small Mm. Is is there like a diminutive form of the word va- ballerina? No, <laughs> I don't know. It's French. I don't. I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, all the French has Latin roots, so I'm sure we could figure it out. I don't think so. There's a Fugazi song called Latin Roots. Is there? Yeah, that's a good song, or that's a good name. Yeah. I don't know the song. This is ridiculous. Numbers. Here's the thing about numbers. Numbers. Ah 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 ah. <laughs> the count. Is that the count? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well done. Yeah. Um, numbers is uh, one of those uh, books uh. that everybody avoids. So I, I was teaching, apropos, apropos, on Monday I was teaching a class to some of our students on the book of numbers. Uh, uh, Imagine uh, that. Uh. How convenient. Which I didn't realize. <laughs> Are you going to do that every time? Every time you say numbers. It's like the word of the day. Uh, 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 uh. I didn't say it. You said it. Yeah, you, I know, but you I had to do yourself it yourself I know. Oh my gosh. Um <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll fix the problem in just a second. You'll see how. Um, I was teaching a class. You're gonna on this. edit that out? No, uh, no, you'll see. Okay. Uh, we were talking. We've been talking about Leviticus and now Numbers, which, uh, 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 <laughs> which are two of the the least. They get the least amount of credit in the Bible, or maybe they get a lot of credit for being weird and boring, right? Mm-hmm. And you hear it, and Leviticus is is weird. I tried to put it. There's a context <laughs> to it, right? Yeah. If you understand what it's doing, it kind of makes sense. But numbers, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> the problem with this book is that it's given this name that makes it sound like something that it's not. And the reason that it's called what it is, <laughs> is comes from, it's not just a bunch of, you know, you, you hear the name and you're like, oh, it's boring and lists of things. There's two censuses, one that happens at the beginning of the book, one that happens at the end of the book, oh. which makes sense because this is the time period where they're preparing to go into the promised land. Right. And so it's fitting to take a census to kind of figure out who's who, what's what. what. What are the resources? How are you going to allocate the land? You're just yeah. kind of like good service. It's good urban planning. But there's very little of that. It literally is a census at the beginning, a census at the end. The rest of it is some of, some of the best stories and narratives of the time in the wilderness in between the golden calf, the giving of the Ten Commandments, and the entrance into the promised land. Oh. Fascinating stories. But because of those two censuses that sort of bookend it, we call it that, which is a bummer. But 
we know that um, we, I, I, I think we talked about this last week, but I cut it out of the podcast, not because it was bad or anything, but what? for sake of time. Oh, yeah. I got boring. But um, we don't. So we take our names for the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. From the first words that they say. No, we don't. What? That's how the Hebrews take them. We have Greek versions. I'm not exactly sure where the names that we get come from. They're more thematic. Um, but we, the, the Hebrew people take the names of those five books from the first noun of the first sentence. Oh. So, um, Genesis is not called Genesis, it's called Bereshith, which means beginnings in the beginning. Cause that's the first noun of the first word. Exodus is, um, the first line is these are the names. So in Hebrew, Exodus is called the book of names, which names are very significant in the book of Exodus. Numbers. Do you know the first sentence of Numbers? I, uh, Th- that, what a terrible shoot, thing to I, ask I, you. I, I Why would you know that? I can't count on my memory for that one. Uh, uh, anyway, the book of Numbers is called... Uh, Mid- uh, 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 uh. Dang it. It's called Middabar, which means in the wilderness. So it begins by saying when Israel was in the wilderness. Oh. So which, which which defines uh, which is actually um, this is this is so interesting because I've been doing a bunch of uh, cinematic study my, for myself. I always do this. Of course, you have. Um, and uh, one of the things that you can learn, I challenge everybody here: you can tell what a movie is about by the very first scene of the movie. Okay. And it's gonna it's gonna actually expound, and it's gonna be an overture that's gonna help you understand. Now you're gonna they're gonna play with what the first scene does, and mm-hmm. there's gonna be transformation, but it's gonna really set the entirety of where you're going to finish. That's interesting. And, unless you're living in some really art cinema, like Slacker or Super something. Super artsy. You know, like, yeah. but, but no, that, like, it's a really fun challenge. It's just because oftentimes huh. we disregard the first scene, but if you give yourself a ton of attention to the first scene, you're going to discover where you're going to end up. Well, have we talked about this? When when you talk about the Gospels, for example, the four, four Gospels, you can tell what the theme... I don't know if we have talked about this. Mm-mm. I was telling the focus team this the other day. You can tell the theme... Because the four Gospels, right, they're, they're four different individuals telling essentially the same story, right? right? But they're all arranged differently, and they have kind of different themes and things they bring out. But you can tell what the main theme of each of the Gospels is going to be based on the first public event you see Jesus doing in each of them. The first public act of ministry. So in Matthew, there's there's all the the preliminary stuff like the genealogy and the birth and the baptism, all the, all the sort of individual, this is what Jesus is doing. But his first ministry event is the Sermon on the Mount. And so the gospel of Matthew is going to be the catechetical gospel. It's going to be the gospel who centers around Jesus's teaching, his words and his works, which it makes sense that it begins with a sermon. Mark begins with an exorcism because it's going to be the one about all of the spiritual warfare that Jesus is entering into. So it Mm. sets the tone. Um, John begins with the wedding feast at Cana because John's theme is going to be the marital imagery and the bridegroom and all these things. Uh, Luke begins with the scene of the Jubilee when Jesus pronounces the Jubilee in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth, which is all about mercy and forgiveness, which is what the theme of the gospel will be. So you're, you're hitting on something that's actually really a biblical concept. The first, the first scene of Jesus in those gospels, the first line of the Torah is going to tell you all that you need to know about the themes that are going to be brought out. So anyway, yeah, this is interesting. I just started reading Les Miserables again, mm. and the whole the- I love the play in the movie, but that is a painful book. Hugo is a dark man. It's yeah. not bad. I mean, that's not a bad thing. But it's, but it's a heavy book. Well, I mean, it's the Miserables. That's what the, the, <laughs> that the, has the, sort of set you up. You know what I'm saying? Like the t- the title can tell you a little bit of something, like these books. But it's interesting because the whole the whole book starts with a long. Um, what are you uh, reading? The Miserables. How the, is it? 
continue. What's your experience of that book? <laughs> um, so yeah, the the uh, but it goes through a long explanation of the bishop because mm. the bishop's life is going to be actually a type and a form of discipleship that you're going to experience with Jean Valjean. It's a funny thing because Hugo clearly is not a big fan of the church. Right. And you can see that drawn out in his writings and in Les Mis in general, but he loves the bishop. And there's actually, there's an interesting principle about that, that the world is not saved by gigantic institutions. I mean, she is, but it's the individuals therein right. that tends to be where salvation comes. God always uses the particular to move people to the universal, right? Yes. So he uses individual people to bring us into the greater church, the universality of the church, individual right. figures in the Old Testament and the Bible to lead us into the universality of what we have to do. So that's there's something interesting about that. Amen. Amen. Well, and that's, We're really aside here. We're not, we're we, pretty off track. Yeah, but that's, not that off that's track. why we go, let's go back into the wilderness. Okay. Um, here's all, I, I just want to put numbers in a bit of context because ah, again, ah, 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 ah. I want to put mid debar in a bit of context. <laughs> the Hebrew. Yeah. Um, oh, just because it's not a book that many, it's funny. I, I was about to say it's not a book that many of us are familiar with, but we are familiar with a lot of the stories in it. Yes. I just don't think most people realize they come from this book. Um, but here's what's interesting. You can divide the book of numbers up a couple different ah, ways. Ah, Dang ah, it. Ah, ah. Are we going to do this the whole time? Oh, the whole time, dude. <laughs> this is the word of the day, bro. <laughs> we can divide this book up a few different ways. So you can divide it geographically. So the first 10, and this is going to make sense based on where we are. The first 10 chapters of the book, um, Israel is at the foot of Mount Sinai, right? Yeah. So they've come. It, it's actually a funny thing. If you think about the time of the Exodus, they came out of Egypt, right? They made their way down Probably the Sinai, nobody's 100% sure where Mount Sinai was. There's like 12 different options, so you kind of have to pick one. But say it's the Sinai Peninsula. They get down there to Sinai. They're hanging out. Moses goes up, the Ten Commandments, the Golden Calf, all these things. So a huge chunk of the book of Exodus takes place um, at the foot of Mount Sinai. All of Leviticus takes place at Mount Sinai. The first 10 chapters of Numbers take place at Mount Sinai. There's like 60 chapters of the Bible that take place in this one spot where they don't move for a long time, which is just fascinating. I mean, this is an important place. Yeah, this is really important. I mean, talk about location. Location, location, location. location. (laughs) So for the first 10 chapters, they're at Sinai. And basically they're going through logistics, right? They're doing this census. They're kind of helping figure out how they're dividing up things. And you're you're getting a lot of business. And then in chapter 11, they start moving. They're on the move, right? And they're going to basically wander around for a long time. They'll be mainly in this place called Kadesh Barnea up until about chapter 21. You can even look at a map and they kind of circle this area. And this is the part of the book where there is a profound amount of disobedience. So you have the first 10 chapters. They're geographically still at Sinai. They're kind of reflecting on what happened. They're kind of taking stock. And then they start moving in chapter 11 through 21. And as they begin to move, the rebellion begins to set in and sin begins to take root. And they keep turning away from God again and again and again. And then you get to chapter 22 verses uh, to 36. And they mainly spend their time on the plains of Moab, which is the spot that's directly overlooking the promised land, right? Right before they're about to go in on the banks of the, of the Jordan River. And what that geography kind of tells you is where they are in relation to God. So in the first 10 chapters as they're at Mount Sinai, they're sort of looking at God. They're facing what they've done. They're kind of assessing, you know, what has happened. 
in chapter 11 through 21, as they're on the move, they are clearly turned away from God. And it's this constant backturning on God, constant rebellion, constant complaining, grumbling. I mean, we thought the grumbling and complaining was bad with Moses. It's, it's so much worse. It's still Moses, but it just, it escalates. And then you finally get to the plains of Moab and where the book moves is a whole new generation that the book is now going to focus on to enter into the promised land because this previous generation is going to be basically a lost cause. And so you actually, you know, some scholars have noticed that there's this break. You can literally split the book in half. The first half of Numbers is almost an exact mirror image of the second half of the book of Numbers because you have Moses basically instructing the people one way in the first half of the book. But then basically by the second half, God has moved on to generation number two. He's like, you guys aren't coming into the promised land. So I'm going to do another census. I'm going to do another allotment of the land. I'm going to do another set of instructions on how you are to live. It's funny once scholars get really confused about the last part of the book, because there's all of these instructions for things that they don't have access to yet. There's all of these instructions about how to use things in the land that they haven't acquired and things to do in land that they, they haven't seen yet. And scholars are like, well, you know, some redactor later on put it in the wrong spot in the Bible or mis-edited it or something like that. But it's actually meant to be simultaneously a judgment and a sign of hope. Judgment that this generation is getting all of these instructions for something they will never be able to do. And this new generation is getting this force, this, this hopeful message of something that they will soon be able to do once they're in the land. Mm. But it's this kind of warning, like, yeah, you guys are never actually going to see the fruit of this. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Okay. All of that is to say that that's just kind of setting the backdrop, the scene. So where we are, it's chapter 11, which means we've just begun the motion. We've started to move. We're going to start to wander. Right, right. And, we, we've been, like, things have gone bankrupt where they were, and yep. we've gone into chapter 11, and now we're in the move. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. So they, they get pretty desperate, and what's the first thing they start complaining about? Do you remember? Um, it's not in our reading, but it's what precipitates our reading. Is it, uh, is it, uh, the, we're sick of this food? Yeah, this, their bellies. The, the belly is always the problem, right? Dude, the Philippians is. even talks about this, right? Their God is their belly. Which you see so distinctly in, in Exodus, right? They come out of Egypt. They're mad about water. They're mad about food. God gives them manna. He gives them water from the rock. And now by Numbers chapter 11, they're like, we're sick of the manna. Like, we're, we've had our fill. We've had the manna kadi and the man... Manana bread. Manana bread. And the... Uh, I keep thinking manna shevets, but that doesn't, that doesn't quite work. Um, the manna witches. Do you remember manna Man witches? Witch. Yeah, yeah, dude. That was good. Anyway. That was, that was some cheesy stuff. Not really. Actually, it's a little bit more meaty than that. Right. Uh. <laughs> anyway, they're tired of it. And they're right. like, nah, we don't like the manna anymore. We're sick of it. We right. want some meat. Remember, they started asking for meat. And then they started to have to puke quail out of their nose. <laughs> well, it's funny, actually. Um, I was going to say, archeo- not archaeologically, uh, ornithologically. Yeah. You know, I was going to turn to ornithology. Yeah, I mean, come on. I, like, dude, That's that's you threw an egg. I don't even know. <laughs> Ornithology is the study of birds. Right. For those of you who don't know, Father Peter knows everything. So, but you didn't. You know things like that. I anyway, know, and I went to the yeah, the egg. Yeah, the so. egg. Ornithologically, though, um, this spot where we believe they are around Kadesh Barnea is actually, and even still today, it's one of the main. It's like this massive intersection of migratory patterns of birds. No. So there are massive migration patterns that go right over this spot where they happen to be, which. 
again, will now become this place where all these quails. Now, God takes them to this place where they will grumble about not having enough meat. And he will sort of miraculously bring these birds down to the ground. But it, it's fascinating. That even today, this is this huge migration route That's where awesome. they happen to be. That makes me really happy. Doesn't it kind of? But So they all start kind of dropping to the earth now. And then there's quail everywhere. And it's that famous scene where they start eating all this quail and they have they gorge themselves. They just... Overeat isn't, isn't even the right term. What's the, what's the word? Uh, what's the vice that I'm thinking of here? Gluttony. Gluttony. Yeah, gluttony. They get Which, gluttonous. Gluttony is one of those words. It's it's almost onomatopoeic, right? It sounds like what it gluttony. It's isn't an onomatopoeia a word that sounds <laughs> it, like what it is. Sounds like, like what burp. It is. Or, or zap. Or zap. Bang. I think gluttony almost, it's not quite onomatopoeic, but it kind of is like glut. You know, it's just like glut. It's like gollum. And they're just gorging themselves on these birds. And it says it's coming out of their nose. And the coming out of their nostrils is weird. But the point is they're actually eating so much they're actually dying. They're overeating. They're becoming so unhealthy because they just, they're not, they don't know how to respond to God's gifts. Which sounds so crazy to us until you think of all the ways we misuse all of the gifts that God gave us. Yeah. From, you know, plant life to alcohol to food to sexuality to whatever it is, all the good things that God gave us of Earth and the ways that we actually use those things to destroy us. Which is not that far off. Which is going to set us up for James. It it will. Yeah. So so this is this context is really important. And so this is the moment in the story where Moses begins to lose it completely. And this is this is why this is how we get here. So Moses is just he's losing his stuff. (laughs) He's like, I can't. It has been years. These people are insane. I can't handle this anymore. And so God says, Moses, all right, I need you to choose 70 elders because you need some assistance. You right. need some help. So I want you to choose 70 elders and bring them up with you to speak to me. Right. Which is going to remind us, of course, of the 70 elders, that Je- 70 disciples that Jesus will choose later on in the Gospels. That bestows his spirit upon them exactly and, and bestows right. authority upon them to go out. Yeah. So there's precedent for this. Right. So they go up on the mountain because Moses needs a break. He needs some, right. some weight off the shoulders. So it says the Lord came, came down in the cloud, spoke to Moses, taking some, this is our reading this week, taking some of the spirit that was on Moses. Here, I'm going to take a quarter of the Holy Spirit from Moses and put him. <laughs> it's just funny the way that's worded. I, I don't know what that, that means. It makes me happy. And the Lord bestowed it on the 70 elders and the spirit came to rest on them and they prophesied. We don't know what they're prophesying about. Are they telling the future? Are they just, you know, your prophecy in, in, in the most proper definition is simply speaking about what God is doing. So what you're seeing is that these elders are receiving insight into the ways of God. Like, okay, so we, we kind of get how to work with these people because we see it from God's point of view. I think that's really what's being conveyed here. It says, now two men, one named Eldad and the other Maydad, they weren't in the gathering, but they had been left in the camp. I have no idea why they're not there. Were dude. they in the bathroom? Were they taking a nap? Like, nap, I, They dude. just missed the boat somehow. And they didn't end up on the mountain with the rest of them. They forgot but to they set were their on, alarms. They might have, which these guys are some of the most comforting people in the Bible to me. Yeah. Because they forgot to set their alarm or they, you know. Or just, they just whatever, bonked wherever, it. They, they just they, blew they, it. They just, maybe they were just daydreamy, kind of like, you know, you know, they're those Absolutely. people who are just kind of like, Look at the beautiful sunset. You know, they're, they're it's like they're, they're, they were they chosen it. and they just they just bonked. They missed it. But yet, so they were on the list, but they hadn't gone out of the camp. And yet the spirit came to rest on them also. So God accounts, God accounts for when we miss our alarm. God accounts for when we space out and forget what we're supposed to do, which is just 
Seriously, I find so much comfort in May Dad and L Dad. L Dad and May Dad. Me Dad. I like Whatever, to say dude. Me Dad. L Dad and Me Dad. Me Dad. Me Dad. Who's that? It's Me Dad. Nobody. Nobody ever names their kids L Dad and Me Dad. If Which I is had, a bummer. If because... I had, if I had twins, I would name them L Dad and Me Dad. This is why you're celibate. <laughs> this <laughs> is right. But no, I, me too, Scott. I have to just tell you, like, there's, there's something so. Um... It speaks to the grace of God and what it actually is. It's not a magic lucky charm trick, right? What happens is that God had, takes full account of the shortcomings of our lives. Yes. And that there's nothing that's going to be abstract. God mm. knows us perfectly, and he knows his plans and his designs, and all things are going to work for good for those who choose him. And, he has, and he has real he has a real design. Yeah. And and so, like— Which Eldad also— and, Oh, sorry. Eldad and me, Dad, I, I'm like, I'm just so with you. Like— and, I see myself in them. And it's what shows me, I mean, I don't think they were doing anything sinful. They weren't, you know, like off rebelling or something. They just blew it. Right. Which again, I just find great comfort. But so what you just spoke to is how God sees our shortcomings. Right. But what you get in the story is how other people see our shortcomings, which is a very different account, right? Mm. And so the other people are like, wait a second. We heard that these guys, they're prophesying too. Who do they think they are? They overslept. They didn't come. They weren't there. They have no right to be a part of us. They have no right to be prophesying. Who do they think they are? They, they're in the camp doing this thing. That's for us. They That's did, our job. That's our gift. They didn't take the prophecy workshop with Moses. <laughs> they didn't go to the prophecy workshop. <laughs> they don't have the certificate. <laughs> <laughs> and Moses gives this great answer, right? Are you jealous for my sake? Like, what are you jealous of exactly? They have the gift. They've been given a gift from God. You've been given a gift from God. Who exactly are you mad at? He's like, would all the people were prophets? I wish everybody had this gift. And it wasn't just 70 elders. Um, Would that the Lord might bestow a spirit on them all. But he's exposed, and Jesus will unpack this a little bit more, but he's exposing the selfishness of their hearts. Right. Because they don't see this as this, well, it's a grace from God. It's a gift but it's not a gift because they are so great. It's a gift of service. Your job is to take some of the burden to serve the people. And if you see it as, and I'm not trying to, my mind just keeps in different ways, always going back to the scandals. And there's all sorts of different reasons for the scandals that we're facing in our church right now. But part of it, a part, is this drive for power. And we want authority and we want to look important and be on a pedestal above everybody else. And that seems to be what some of these people are doing. Right. They want the power. And who do these guys think they are that they've got the same power that I have? Mm-hmm. They weren't there. They didn't do the workshop. They weren't on the mountain. They're not buddies with, you know, they weren't with Moses. Like I, I was there. I remember. <laughs> nah, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of all the, I, I, I hesitating to say this, but I, I uh, Imagine somebody being like, you know, I don't know about you. I don't know if you knew this, but Father Peter Musset baptized my child. And I'm like, oh, I was baptized by this priest that nobody knows the name of. Or like, I, I remember this. I knew somebody who was like, my child was baptized by Archbishop Chaput. And I love Archbishop Chaput. But I was like, that's really cool. But that doesn't actually change anything about the baptism that my child received. It's still baptism. But we latch on to stuff like this, don't we? You're like, I... We want to be like, I... And I... I was baptized by some guy in my drinking fountain on the college <laughs> dorm room floor. <laughs> that's a story for another day. <laughs> but like, like you know, it's like, like, this is the thing. It is. It? But we want to latch on to like, I'm important because well, my thing is associated with this. You know, what's really interesting is I think concerts do that. 
I think concerts. Who, concerts. Okay. You you go to a concert. You're like, I was there at that concert uh, when they played the small little venue yeah. before they were big. Or yeah, I totally. I watched. Totally. I watched C-SPAN. <laughs> I I endured C-SPAN and them. Like, I mean, that's some bold television right there. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, you can watch the audio guys rapping the chords. You know, what I I'm watched saying? C-SPAN three for all day all day long. long. I was there, man. The guys rapping the chords. <laughs> It's like, I don't know why that struck me. So it's just like, dude, that's that's just bold, man. They so, just leave the camera on. So, all right. So, anyway. would that we all like, we we better keep moving. Yeah, we got to keep moving. Yeah. Okay, so that that and that is actually, I think, a good setup for Psalm 19, which yeah, the heavens are telling the glory of God, which we talked about last week. Didn't we? it wasn't the same Psalm last week? Was it? Ben is telling the glory, glory of God. God. No, it, I, it, well, it's true. It, 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 it is. I mean, it is in, in maybe an indirect capacity. But here's the irony, right? The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. The law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy. It gives wisdom to the simple. These 70 elders have, in a certain sense, received the precepts and the law of the Lord. Mm-hmm. But did it give joy to their heart? No, it actually sparked jealousy and strife. Dude, this is the this is always the danger with giftedness. Is like w- w- like everything is gift, and when we start to claim things as our own rather than as gift, exactly, that's actually where jealousy and strife start to 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 and and where the joy of the gift actually starts to degrade. Do you know the difference between? I'm sure you do, but the difference between jealousy and envy. Yes. Because Je- this is, I think, exactly what's going on with these yeah, guys. Yeah, well, because jealousy is, hey, I want that. Envy is, I want that, and I don't want the other person to have it. Which is exactly what these guys... Cause, so jealousy, God actually is jealous. Like, I want you guys. I am jealous for you, say the prophets sometimes. Right. Jealousy can can be... I, I don't think I'm totally heretical in saying desire. it can be okay. Well, it's deep desire. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 um, yeah. I mean, it can be really, it can be messed up. It can be. Absolutely. Like, like it's easy I for really jealousy to that. tank, but you say like, but it's envy where we become like, no, I want it. And I don't want you to have it. My and, neighbor has a really nice car. That's really, I wish I had a nice car, right. but I wish I had a nice car and I want you to have a piece of junk. That's envy, right? Because I don't think that you're worth anything. Yeah. It's it's a really it's it's an anti personalism, and that's what these elders are doing. Yeah, I mean, you could say they're doing it to Eldad and Medad, but they're doing it to God. They're saying, God, who are you to give them this stuff? Right. Um. But what the psalm is doing is giving us the antidote. No, the proper response is seeing the precepts of the Lord, seeing the law of the Lord, even played out in the life of someone that we don't think it ought to be being played out in and finding joy in that. Right. To well, see. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I like this. It just says that like, though your servant is careful of them and very diligent to keep them, who can detect failings? Cleanse me from my unknown faults. Like mm. that's the, that's the opposite. It's like saying yes, like, look, I'm these decrees and this gift, mm. even this gift of prophecy that you invited me yeah. to the workshop. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like Lord, th- help me to be careful of what this is. Um, rather than, I love, I love putting it. The workshop analogy is just having worked in the church for a long time. (laughs) The church in North America does love our workshops. We love our workshops. (laughs) It's really killing me. It's funny because it really is a work of the spirit. It's just such a workshops. Yeah, yeah. The workshops of the spirit. Workshops of the spirit. (laughs) That's the podcast title. Yeah, absolutely. I love it when I find the podcast title. Oh yeah. So so it's like it's like where's Waldo. Finding the podcast title every week. <laughs> Workshops of the Lord. Oh, okay. Which which brings us on to James. It does bring us to James actually pretty well, which I struggled at, at first to see what James was doing. But James is sort of speaking 
it's using one thing to speak to a much deeper reality of something else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's funny. As we were reading this, I I don't know what it is, but I, I think I was looking at like what to do with old iPhones, and I was reading <laughs> yeah. about the, the recycling process. Dude, this is what it's like to be me. I have mentioned like eight things that are like on my mind. Which I hope this is okay to say on the air, but there was a period a few weeks ago where you were just you were just sad. You were kind of in a darker place. And I noticed that you were not engaging any of your hobbies. Or and it made me really interest. sad. Yeah. Or your, those weird, crazy interests. And now you've named at least four of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, so it just I, tells I'm, me about the state that you're... I'm getting back. I'm getting back. Like, we're slowly working back to normal. Because yeah. it, these these have been really hard times, as you know. But like, but, like, I was reading about recycling. And, <laughs> hey, and, this is... And, this and is like, good. how much do we value the, this these... gives joy to my heart. Yeah, these electronic devices that we have. Not very much. We enjoy them. I mean, oh, I, we do a yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we had a discussion about the phone, and that mm. I didn't get a big phone, and you were, you condemned me for it. Big. <laughs> and you were like, <laughs> you didn't get a big phone. Yeah, you're like, I have no influence in your life well, anymore. Well, because you asked me my opinion. Yeah, I know, but this, this is this is the thing you is that it. is that the valuable things just corrode, and yes. that that we actually are struggling in an age of design to where we have planned obsolescence. Yeah, that's true. So it's like, you know, and, and, and people are really getting angry about there's a there's a movie called Objectified, okay. which is all about industrial design in the contemporary world and how messed up it is that we have planned obsolescence for these devices and these electronics and these things that it's we're brilliant using. brilliant on a business sense. It's brilliant on a business sense. Addict people and then make sure that the thing's going to wear out and they have to get another one because they're addicted to it. Right. And, and But then this is where it's like weep and wail over your your wealth has rotted away and your clothes have become moth-eaten. That there's this sense of like, like um, when we work in a world where we actually have planned obsolescence, mm. it's just capitalizing on the fact that, that this, this desire that James is trying to identify, that you just build it into something. And 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 actually capitalize literally on the this this kind of need to be present in a moment that it's it's like what I was talking about going to a concert. You yeah. want to be you want to be like I'm in the know. I'm in. Yep. I, I have this thing. And when we try to take that and put that into a material expression. Mm-hmm. Which is which is a normal thing. It's yeah. it's like Israel wandering in the desert, trying yeah. to figure out like, oh, we're destined for this. This is the this is our identity. The Lord's like, no, I've got to purify you from this, so that you're not actually right. trying to find your identity in this thing. Um, and and that's why he gives the first generation in the in the uh, the book of the wilderness that we mm-hmm. were reading about earlier. That um in earlier is he the the first generation he says I'm going to give you instructions about things yeah. that you'll never have yeah so that you say oh the dictates of the Lord are yes. powerful and good and, yeah, and I think yeah, so yeah. so I think James yeah. is talking about like a deeper mm. bigger pattern with some specifics that are you, we actually need to go into the specifics yeah you know like don't get materialistic which is. I think there's such a clear connection. I, we don't get it in the reading, but right before this reading, I mean, what caused Moses to need these 70 elders to share the burden? They were given a bunch of material things, namely quail, and they completely blown out, misused them. <laughs> <laughs> right? Dude, that's like me in the qua right now, dude. I I have to tell you, man, I, I like I am Lequa. totally misusing the qua, which is really funny because it's the cross. Yeah, that is ironic. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> okay, but keep, go, keep, keep, keep going. But I'm just, it's, uh, 
I'm not taking it just to put it in context. I mean, reading these first lines of James, come now, you rich, weep and wail over your impending miseries. Your wealth is rotted away. Your clothes have become moth eaten. I mean, translate that to quail. Weep and wail over your impending quail gorging. You had this, but in the sense that you, and the quail are, you know, they're, they're just a great analogy though. They were given this gift, this material thing, which now they start to rot away. They're coming out their nostrils. They're, I mean, it's just, it's corrupt now. I mean, you've misused this thing and look at, can you Dude, imagine, really... can you imagine the smell in the camp? Dude, I can. You want to know why? It's like wor- <laughs> I worked in restaurants, and the amount of food waste that is, is, is that actually pours out of, of restaurants everywhere. I mean, this is this well, it's is literally a, pouring out of the Israelites. It's pouring out of they're they're just. But this is the thing: is that's actually we actually live this era. I mean, yeah, and there's a no, lot of true. people who are trying to say like we have this radical food abundance, and and we're mm-hmm. wasting huge amounts of food when the world is actually in in dire need of it. And we're trying to figure out, even just within our little 120,000 person city, how to utilize the food that's already being wasted. And And that's exactly what this is saying. This is very practical. But but again, it's speaking to a deeper issue of our hearts. Right. This is a gift that you have been given. Right. And if we recognize even the food that we have as a gift that we've been given, then we're going to respond to what we do with that food differently. Yes. If Israel recognized, no, God gave us this gift. Mm. Oh my gosh, what a, what a treasure! Right? They don't treat the quail like a treasure. They they treat it like you know a, a commodity just to be gorged on, which is how we do everything. Mm. But it's all speaking to this deep. The precepts of the Lord are good, and they bring joy. The gifts that the Lord, I mean. Israel's getting this gift of quail, and they're not saying, oh, thank you. They're not responding with this genuine joy and thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They're responding with, like, ah, yes, the next thing, blah, gorge, vomit, blah. I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to take that too far, but <laughs> nostrils and vomiting of quail. Let's, let's move on. Mark. Yeah, well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you though that the uh, wages you withheld from the workers uh, for harvesting your fields are crying aloud, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ear of the lords of hosts. So th- that's said aha. That's that's a the, cr- the cry sounds like this, and then I made it sound like this. <laughs> oh, the quail! Back to the quail always. And Goonies. Port- oh, Goonies! Well, good play. Yeah, good play for the people. Dude, that's the cry that the Lord hears. So I was reading the readings. And I was reading the first reading. I feel like this never works out this way. But I was like, man, I sure hope that the gospel is this one. Because I'm like, but they're not They're not going to make it that easy. There's no way they're going to make it that simple. But they did. Oh. And this actually is the reading that I've hoped makes most sense to be connected to the first reading. Yeah. So we've, we talked last week about how Jesus, um, in the middle of the gospel of Mark, we go through these cycles, basically, of Jesus predicts his own passion doesn't predict it. He foretells his passion. The disciples are shown to be blind, and Jesus has to usually paradoxically teach them about what reality is, right? No, unless you actually become small, you can't be great. Unless you become little, you can't be, you know, right. the, the least of these, all, the, all those things. So in the middle of that, as Jesus is literally, number one, foretelling his passion in a pretty dramatic and... Uh, um, yeah, d- very direct way. Like, this is going to happen to me, you guys. They constantly don't get it. They're talking about how great they are, how blind they are to what Jesus is going to do, how wonderful they are, um, which we're already pretty close to what we're seeing in the book of Numbers. Numbers. 
numbers. Uh, You're uh, killing uh, me, uh, man. Uh, 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 uh. Unbelievable. <laughs> Dude, I was trying to go through a point. I know you man. were. I know I you were. I know you were. I'm just trying to keep you consistent. I'm trying to keep you honest. <laughs> Calling you out. All right. A whistleblowing. I, I, I missed I missed I missed uh, two earlier when you were talking because I was I concentrating so intensely Sorry. on what you were saying. Sorry. So okay. So the, the the Lord will extract the Sabbaths that I have not. Um, it's like done. you are me dad and L dad falling, <laughs> falling asleep during the workshop. All right. So at that time, at what time? At the time that Jesus was telling about how he was going to die and no one got it. Right. And when he was talking about his death and they talked about how great they were at that time which is a significant marker right right at that time john said to jesus hey guess what we saw these people we saw this guy driving out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him we stopped him you can thank us later jesus why did they stop him do you read what it said i i was very i've never noticed this before i don't think maybe i have because he doesn't follow us he doesn't follow who us doesn't follow who us yeah, Isn't that it, interesting? It really is. Because he doesn't follow us, the great apostles. It should say you, Jesus. That's the one that we're all supposed to be following. But they've made it into an us. This is about us, Jesus, mm. right? Because mm. we are the now the new elders, right? We are the great ones. And mm. now these guys are, or this guy in particular, you see it happen later on in Acts of the Apostles. It's funny. There's a couple times, right? It happens right after the transfiguration where the apostles are trying to drive out demons, remember? And they can't do it. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. When they come down from the transfiguration, they're like, we can't drive these demons out. Nothing's working. And there's this weird juxtaposition in the gospels that the apostles, the ones who are the closest to Jesus, they've been given the authority. They can't do the thing that some rando whose name we'll never know, Mm -hmm. who actually isn't a part of the group, that he actually can do which says far less about the apostles and more about this guy. And it's not that this is some magic trick that they're able to do and some people aren't able to do. It's that this guy is clearly doing it with a genuine faith. He is really calling on the name of Jesus. He is really being brought to a joy by the precepts of the Lord. Right. Because he gets it and he sees it. And, and Jesus is definitely... Which, which goes, who are my mother and my brothers? The ones who do the will of God. Hear the word of God and do the and yeah. do it and to put it into action. Here's this guy. He's like, he's like hearing, I, I'm going to, I'm sending you out with authority. Yeah. And he's right. like, he's like, oh my gosh. He, I wonder uh, if, imagine his thought process. Like, he's, I wonder. He probably, this is the thing is, I bet you it's because of his experience. He probably, he probably saw will. and he said, this works. Yeah. He's like, and because and right. he goes out in faith, he doesn't say, he doesn't I wonder. Faith. He says, this works. I think he goes out in faith. We presume he goes out in faith. He couldn't but, do it without faith. Well, I don't know. That's what's interesting about this, right? Jesus lays the lines of demarcation pretty clearly. If they're not for us, they're against us. If they're not against us, they're for us. Right. Jesus is Jesus. There's no, this is the the moment of there's, there's no in-between. Mm. There's no lukewarmness. You're with us or you're not. And I, I'm reminded, so I presume this guy has great faith. Right. I presume he can do this because he really is calling on the name of the Lord. But then there's this little part of me thinking about poor Maydad and Eldad who overslept and God's gracious to them anyway. And the ways that the mercy of God works. I thought of this line of Philippians. I mentioned Philippians earlier, right. but do you remember in Philippians where Paul is talking about how persecuted he's getting and how everyone is backstabbing him? And he's like, there are other people who are actually using my ministry against me. And they're using the fact that I'm suffering for Jesus as a way to backstab me and tell people how awful I am. Do you remember that whole thing? Yeah. And do you remember his conclusion? Mm-mm. He says, but at least in every way, Jesus's name is being proclaimed. And in that <laughs> I rejoice. 
Even <laughs> if they're using the name of Jesus to talk about how much I stink, hmm. Jesus's name is being proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Hmm. And I thought of that line. So again, I presume the faithfulness of this guy. Right. But then I think of what Paul said. And I think of how utterly powerful the name of Jesus actually is. Mm. Even if Paul's being backstabbed through the use of Jesus' name, Jesus' name is still powerful enough to actually change the world. Even if I'm using it against somebody. Mm. Which don't use Jesus' name against people. Right. But it just reminds us of how Jesus is showing us. He's like, look, this is bigger than you could ever imagine. And just because you're in the inner sanctum right now, you're in the inner crew right now, Uh doesn't make you better than the rest. And you could imagine Jesus saying, he doesn't say it here, but you could imagine him saying what Moses said, would that everybody was driving out demons in my name. Imagine that. Would that everybody was calling on my name. Right. Not just you schmoes who don't get anything that I'm saying. Well, yeah, this is the thing is that we were talking about this um, uh, as, as priests. We were talking about how do you get rooted in unconditional love rather than trying to compel love mm. or earn love. Ooh. And and and, wow. and, and and in a certain That's sense, a it's a, the only way that you can get there is by gift. And here's this person who sees that the gift of God costs nothing. Yeah, it it doesn't do anything. And here's these other guys, mm. these uh, these uh, followers of the Lord, who are all like clamoring. They're in the dog pile. They're saying, "Who can get on top? Who's the greatest of all of us?" And they have given something in their credit. They have sacrificed something to be there. Well, that's right. But they're not seeing that that even that right. is gift. Right. Exactly. That, Right. That, that everything is gift, and the, right. the, the, the because they're thinking it's their sacrifice that's actually gained them this notoriety. Right. We gave up our fishing career; they stunk at it, but we gave it up. You know, we right. left our father behind. We left our boats. We right. left our tax collector job. Don't you see what I've done for you, Jesus? Right. Jesus, can't you see all that I've given you? Right. Aren't I so great? And he's like, I'm gonna look upon that guy too. Right. He didn't give anything. Guess yeah. what? But he said my name. Boom. Right. And, it, and all of a sudden, we're back to the parable of the workers, right? Yes. We've been working all day, Lord, and they just showed up at the 11th hour. And you're going to give them the same wages as me? Right. And he says, yeah, yep. I am. Because it's not about how much you've given. There's not, and this is where. That was one of the names of my bands when I was in high school. It was 11th hour. Really? Yeah. That's a good name. Yeah. Well, that's a good name. Now, here's my question, though. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess I do. I was surprised by the second half of the passage that we get. Because that's where I'm. I would have been very happy if we closed the gospel reading at verse, where are we, verse 43 or whatever. But then we move on to whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to sin. And we better, well, that one actually makes sense. Jesus is naming this, presumably this guy, as one of these little ones. He says, if you cause him to sin, imagine if the, imagine this guy who in faith, in total innocence, in freedom, is saying, I can call in the name of Jesus. And these amazing things will happen. I can actually access this authority and the apostles going and shutting him up (laughs) and him actually being led to sin or led to scandal because of that. And Jesus is saying, oh, you have no idea what you're doing. Right. You've led these little ones into scandal because that's actually what it said, Mm. what it says in the Greek. It'd be better if a great millstone were put around his neck and were thrown into the sea. Elsewhere in the scriptures, it talks about our sin being thrown to the bottom of the sea. So Jesus is basically saying it's better if you were to become sin yourself because that's where sin goes and that's what happens to you. You become sin if you actually lead these little ones away from me, which is a pretty really harsh thing to say, Mm. but it shows where Jesus's intention is, where where Jesus is actually putting, staking his claim. 
He's like, no, the power is my name. My power is not you. My power is not how many people can be joined to the apostles. My power, the church is what God has given us for the salvation of the world. There is no salvation outside of the church because the church is the means and the conduit of grace for the world. But if we stake our faith on how many people show up to mass on Sunday and we forget that the will of God can be doing, can be happening outside of there and God is leading everyone ultimately back to him through whatever means is possible, then we lose sight of exactly what's happening here. Right. And if we, we lose think sight there's of, no grace outside the, of that building across the street. This, we lose sight of the creativity of God. We lose sight of the creativity of God. That's a great way to put it. Like, like this is, that's what I, that's what I watch and I watch it a lot and I love it. It's yeah. like, it's like somebody who decided to watch Boondock Saints <laughs> was curious about what the rosary was, started praying the rosary and yes. ended up converting to Catholicism and becoming focused missionaries. Which that's how God works. You're like, God you're, does do stuff like, like that. Crazy stuff. Is that a real like, story? That's a real story. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. The, uh, th- that happened here. So. Wow. Well, you guys, thank you. We love you. God bless you. Have a very, very blessed 26th Sunday in ordinal time. Mm. Um, and um, We'll see you next week. Yeah. Ta-ta. Ta-ta for now. T-T-F-N. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.